Here we are in Philippians chapter 4. Uh, we're going to start reading in verse 5 here in just a minute. But I want to share with you that uh, we are talking today about the idea of fear and anxiety. Now, we've got our Northwest kids in here with us this week, uh, like we do a couple times a year. So welcome to you guys. Uh, thanks, thankful that you guys are here in, in big church with us uh, instead of in your other classrooms, but we're glad you guys are here. So we thought with Northwest Kids here with us, and just to do something a little different here this morning, we would have a little crowd participation. Okay, are you up for that? You're not just going to sit here and fall asleep for 35 minutes. We need some participation. So we're talking about things that cause you anxiety. So I'm going to uh, flash up on the screen uh, a situation and to the level that that causes you fear or anxiety in your life, I want you to boo uh, to that level. You understand what I'm saying? So don't be afraid to boo really, really loudly if that is something that really the sight of it, the thought of it really causes you trouble. You got it? You good? Okay, let's go for this first one. This right here is heights. How many people struggle with that? Let me just hear it. All right, a fair amount of people. Um, you know, I am um, somebody who has been skydiving, and I've been Rocky Mountain climbing. Just seeing who's paying attention, and other lyrics as well. I've never ridden a bull, but that's a country song. But I've been skydiving, planes, no problem, whatever. But I get 15 feet up on a stepladder uh, on the side of my house, and I turn into a sissy schoolgirl, and my legs start shaking and everything. So I would say, yeah, that's something for me. How about this next one? For those of you tuning in at home, that's a spider. Um, and not, not, not too much of a fear of spiders here. Go ahead. What do we got for the next one? All right, that's a little bit more response. That is snakes right there. Um, so those are the ones that cause some anxiety more than the spider. Spider can really be killed with like a, you know, uh, a wrapper of a stick of gum, right? If you really think about it, spider or uh, snakes, a little bit more serious than that. Um, how about this one right here? I hear lots of... Oh, and very little uh, that are people that are actually scared of this. We got one right over there. It's amazing how a three-ounce furry little field mouse can turn grown adults uh, into, you know, cowering, um, you know, scared fools on top of chairs and tables. Uh, we, we've had some mice incidents at our church office um, here recently coming in uh, to experience the goodness and the warmth of Northwest Community Church office. Um, so ask our kids ministry director, Angie Crystal how she feels about these right here, and you'll get a good story. Um, yeah, so how about this last one? Public speaking. Okay, a lot. Anybody want to come up here and this, you know, right here, this is open and this is ready? Yeah, well, this, uh, according to many surveys, is really the number one fear that people have is public speaking. And in this particular survey that I looked at, you know what the number two fear was? Death. So go figure that one out. One author put it this way. He said, uh, he said death is number two. Does that seem right? That means to the average person, if you have to go to a funeral, you're better off in the casket than actually doing the eulogy. <laughs> it seems a little backward, right? Well, anyway, we are here to talk about fear and, um, 
and, and the things deep down inside that, that cause angst and that um, grip you and that can paralyze us. And it's funny because whenever you start to get in one of these types of um, conversations or you talk to people about what some of their biggest fears are, the tendency, especially among guys, can really be to kind of make a joke out of it, right? And I experienced this firsthand uh, a few years back. I was a student pastor. Uh, I was a student pastor for 16 years and loved middle school and high school students and all the energy and events and everything else and spent much of my life in that realm. And this was one night in particular. It was a big rally. There was hundreds of students there and it was right before school was starting. And I was up there speaking and we had just spoken on, you know, fear and, and the power of God to overcome fear. And it was just one of those really high and holy moments, right? Where like people were worshiping and like it was the beginning of a school year, lots of anxiety about, you know, reaching your school for, for Jesus and everything. It was really a beautiful moment. And the, and the music was playing really softly. And with our team, we had said, hey, you know, it'd be a cool idea to have, have a lot of these students just offer these fears up to God, you know, just like verbalize them and, and to write them down so that we can get a visual and at the end of the night we're going to pray over this visual all these fears and anxieties and allow God to just come and move in power and it's going to be a great moment and it was heading to be a great moment and we had this giant whiteboard up on the stage I mean it was literally almost as big as this one right back here it was massive and we had all these uh sharpie markers um ready and and we said all right guys you know God's crystallized something in your mind that you really want to give over to him something you're afraid of so as we're playing this next worship song we want you to come forward and we want you to just write down your fear right here and it was just a beautiful moment and kids started coming up and there were some sniffles and some kids starting to cry and it was emotional and it was great and some kids were writing down like you know that I won't fall into temptation or you know my mom is sick and I'm afraid that she's going to get even more sick or you know I'm afraid of failure or I'm afraid of being rejected like significant real things all right and then this one dude gets up and starts meandering his way forward. And I know this guy, this high school kid, and he's kind of a punk. And I'm like, all right, Lord, this is either going to be really good because maybe his heart's breaking and he's just reached this moment where he's finally going to give it all to God, or this is not going to be good. And it wasn't good. So he got up there and he got this big red marker and he started writing in huge letters, this big, massive, all-encompassing thing that almost took up the whole entire thing in bright red, like reinforced, going it over several times. I'm like, what is he doing? I can't see. What does that say? What could he possibly be so afraid of that wants to broadcast for all these students and, and, and for us to keep for the whole entire year is our mantra of like, we gave these things over to God and he sits down and I can see the letter C. L-O-W-N-S. Clowns. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Oh, you're in good company. So how do you recover from that? I'm like, and everybody sees what's going on. This dude wrote clowns as the thing that he's afraid of. I'm like, oh, Lord, please. Some people don't know how to respond when you're talking about your fears. Especially when you're talking about deep-rooted, not just this surface stuff, not fuzzy animals, not snakes, not any of that, that's, that's fine, but not the external fears. I'm talking about internally. The things that if we were really to sit down with you and ask you about, what are the things that keep you up at night? What are the things that you don't really talk about? What, what causes you anxiety? 
And for me, this week, I, I, I wrote down a couple of things that, that, man, in those moments, you really start to ask yourself some questions, and so many of these are, are illogical, but yet they seem real to you, right? When you go down to the depths, what do you get? What if my kids make the kind of decisions that they will regret forever? You ever have that fear? Not of my kids, that would be weird. Like, I hope Jerry keeps an eye on his kids. Your own kids, you know what I'm saying. You love your kids, you want them to do what's right, but ultimately they're gonna be in situations and moments where they're making their own decisions. And I look back in my own story, in my own life, uh, in high school and in college, and certain times, certain things where I'm like, yeah, that one right there, man, I wish I could have undone that and unsaid that because it affects me even to this day. And what if that happens? How about this? What if my messages as a communicator become old? What if I don't have any more good stories? What if speaking uh, is not compelling? What if I don't hear the voice of God anymore? What if I become irrelevant or benign for the cause of Christ? What if I become washed up, boring, uninteresting, uninviting, ineffective? What about this? What uh, about my love and my marriage? Although it's rock solid, what if things just really suddenly change? Sorry, Becca, I didn't even talk to you about this, but I mean, really. What if one day my wife wakes up, just comes to her senses? Wow, I've been living for this knucklehead, living with this guy for 20 years, you know? Like, and, and what if something breaks up, goes south? And what happens is you start to think about this, and they seem so illogical, but the thing, thing is, the, the more we live, the more we experience, we know friends, and we know people that we were once close with who, who we thought had a rock-solid relationship, or that pastor who was just so on fire for God and had such character and such integrity, but then the more you live, if you're not careful, you start to get cynical because you see that all of a sudden, well, that, wait, you're getting a divorce? What happened? When did that happen? How did that happen? He just got up and he just left and he won't return phone calls. And how did that happen? And you see things change right before your eyes and you see circumstances and you start to say, well, why couldn't that happen to me? What if one of my kids gets sick and we can't do anything about it? What if there's some sort of medical emergency and any savings that we've managed to scrape together will be gone and we will have nothing? What if we have to sell our house? What if we have to move? How about this one? What if my kids grow up, do everything right, get married to a person who we thought was great, a committed believer, and then something terrible happens in their marriage and your grandkids are affected? You can see how this can spiral out of control and thoughts can get more and more and more out, outrageous enough to drive you crazy. There's many of us here that have experienced some of those thoughts. And today we want to dive into Philippians chapter 4 to find out some answers from God's word about what to do when we've got some of these fears and these anxious thoughts. And the first thing that I want you to write down in your text here is simply this. One of the things that you need to do when you start to experience these is, number one, remind yourself that the Lord is near. Remind yourself that the Lord is near. 
Well, what do you mean by that? Well, here in Philippians chapter 4, you know, when you're talking about anxiety, what does everybody, if you've been around church for a while, what do they automatically jump to, right? Oh, this verse that we hold up as our mantra, you know, chapter 4, verse 6, right? Do not be anxious for anything. That's the one that we jump to, right? But what I want to share with you this morning is just something that I've learned really over these last couple of weeks as, as Brian, the other teaching pastor, and I and Matt have been wrestling through these texts and studying it that to me was really fascinating. Because the thought does not begin there in chapter uh, 4, verse 6. Do not be anxious. That's not where it begins. If you look closely at your text, really it begins in verse 5. Right? Follow along with me in your copy of scripture. It says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And you'll remember that was part of last week's context about uh, divisions in the church. And man, what do you do when there's conflict? How do you handle that? Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. And here's where the thought changes. Because there's a period and a new sentence begins. Verse 6 starts halfway in the sentence. It missed it. Here's where it should begin. Second half of verse 5. The Lord is at hand, so do not be anxious about anything. There's something about the presence of God that the writer is reminding us is so important here on the front end. Before we get into these anxious thoughts, before we get into these fears that are spiraling out of control, it's almost as if God is saying, oh, time out. Don't forget, the Lord is at hand. He's near. And I don't know what that does for you. I know for me, growing up in Christian household and that whole idea that that God was there and seeing everything. It almost was a little creepy, right? Almost like Santa Claus, you know, like he knows when you're sleeping and he sees you when you're awake and you're like, oh, it's weird. I remember in our house, I know that I saw this at some point. Um, maybe some of you had something similar, but this was a little plaque that I've seen in a lot of Christian households. Maybe this rings a bell. Christ is the head of this house. That's awesome. That's great. We're all about that, right? The unseen guest at every meal. Just imagine like an empty chair where Jesus sits. And then how about the second part? The silent listener to every conversation. This strike is a little bit like guilt-ridden, like kids, be careful. Don't fight with each other. Don't argue. Don't call your brother that, you know, because there's a silent listener to every conversation. I say that to you not to talk about God's presence and the Lord is at hand in some guilt-ridden kind of way, but in, but in the fact that that can be unbelievably encouraging for us to know that God is there. You think about Exodus chapter 3, that incredible passage where Moses is dialoguing with God and Moses is saying, our people are struggling. You know, here we are, we're slaves in Egypt. You've got to rescue us. And I love God's response in Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4. Look it up later on. God says, I have seen and I have heard and I know and I understand what's going on. And he says, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. In other words, Moses, long before you, I have been on it. I've been seeing. I've been orchestrating. I am aware. That's encouraging for us. I love what the psalmist says in Psalm 73, verse 28. The nearness 
of God is my good. Even think about the great verse, Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. When Joshua was receiving the reins and the responsibility to bring people into the promised land, um, it says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. Why? For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And then hundreds of years later in 1 Chronicles chapter um, 28, um, verse 20, David says to his son, be strong and courageous to do it. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed. Sounds familiar, right? For the Lord, even my God, is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. And it's amazing how this idea of the presence of God, if we set that up on the front end, before we get into our anxieties and our fears, will change things for us, knowing that we are not alone. I was reminded of um, a situation in David's life that I want to use as an illustration. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, you can go back and read it. Um, later on, if you want to take that down, 1 Samuel 21, absolutely fascinating because you know David was one who was a mighty warrior, who wasn't afraid. You think about even early on David and Goliath, um, right? He was just a child at that point and, uh, and, and he achieved an incredible victory, stepped out on faith, saw God do incredible things. And here now David is, is all grown up now. He's a king, he's a warrior, and yet he's being chased after by a guy named Saul. And so there's fear in his life. What's he gonna do to me? Is he gonna kill me? So David runs away instead of facing his fear and trusting in God like he did way back when. He runs away. And scripture tells us he took refuge in a city called Gath. Does that name ring a bell to anybody here? Why is that significant? You know where Goliath was from? He was from Gath. So he went back to hide and disguise himself in the very city that years before he had destroyed their champion in an incredible act of valor. And now he's hiding. And what's incredible about this account is that the king of Gath says, uh, wait a minute, I think I recognize you. I don't know if you know this or not, but you're a little bit of a villain in our mind. We're the Philistines, and you kind of killed our champion way back when and made a fool out of us. Isn't that David? I think I know who he is. And once David was found out, do you know what he did? It says that he pretended to be insane. And the scripture is very descriptive. It says that he went up to the city gate, started banging his head up against the wall, started scribbling and, you know, all these things on this giant. Maybe he wrote the word clown. I, I don't know. He started scribbling all this stuff, started banging his head. It says saliva and foam was coming out of his mouth. And the king was like, some of you are like, this guy's a madman. And the king is like, um... I think that's not David. There's no way. There's no way. This is not the warrior. This is not the king. This is not the great poet. This is not the champion. We've got enough crazy people in our city. Get them on out of here. It can't be the same guy. And I challenge you guys sometime when you get in trouble, kids, try this. 
When you get called out for something, when you're afraid of some moment, when you don't want to face up to some situation that could get you in trouble, just try that. Start foaming at the mouth, start banging your head against the window, you know? Jerry, why didn't you get the milk at the store? I reminded Temporary insane, I'm better now. But what's the point? The point is when people don't face up to their fears, when people don't recognize and understand that God's presence is there, no matter what the situation, embarrassing things happen. And maybe for some here, even this morning, you don't have that kind of story because that's pretty unique, but man, you're pretty... Um, you're pretty low in your response and you're down there and, and the way you've hidden from God, hidden from responsibility, responded to fears in such a way, it's really not all that dissimilar. It's embarrassing. But what I love is out of that situation, David ran to a cave and Psalm 57 verse one tells us this is what David wrote after he pretended to be insane because he didn't know how to handle his fear. Here's his prayer. Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me. For in you, my soul takes refuge. And in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I can pretend to be strong. I've got a track record of lots of victory. But man, in this moment, I was incredibly weak and wimpy. And yet, God, I need to hide in your presence, in the shadow of your wings. Cover me, protect me. I want to be near you. The Lord is at hand. And as believers here today, we've got even an advantage over that, right? Because it's not just... The Lord is over all the earth. There is no place where you can go where he doesn't see you and where his presence isn't. Psalm 139, in the depths of the sea, he's there. In the heights, he's there. He's everywhere, right? So it's not just the external. You can't go anywhere. But Jesus says in John chapter 14, Jesus says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him, but you know him, check this out, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So it's not just external. We're living in the day and age now where we've got the spirit of God living even within us, indwelling us, that glorious doctrine of the Holy Spirit according to Ephesians chapter one. This comforter that dwells within our soul that will always be there with us. It's an incredible, incredible truth. Number two, the second thing that I want you to write down is you need to destroy anxiousness with thankfulness. All right, turn to your neighbor right now and say, destroy anxiousness with thankfulness. Do it. Okay, that shouldn't take that long. What else are you saying? Think about that. Destroy your anxiousness with thankfulness. All right, keep on reading here in, uh, in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God with thanksgiving. And that's really important 
for us to understand here because this is a command, right? God's saying, don't be anxious about anything. Don't let that consume you. So if you are anxious or if you're living in that or allowing that to happen, you're kind of disobeying what God commanded you, but he shows us how. He says, instead, in everything, in every situation, with prayer and with petition, with supplication, pointing yourself Godward, let your requests be made known to God, but do it with thanksgiving. And this is big for us because what we need to decide when our minds start to race, when we start to be getting anxious, is are we gonna let this be in our grip or are we gonna trust in God's grace? Are we going to let this be in our grip? It's, it's under my control, and I want to be in control. I want to know what's going to happen, and, and I need to know the future. I need to be secure, and everything needs to be here within my grip. Or instead, do we look outwardly and look upward and say, you know what? Even the fact that I'm having some of these issues, God, I want to be thankful that I've got a family to be worried about. I'm worried about my finances and what's going to happen and, and what if I don't have any money or what if the stock market goes down or what if, you know, what if all this happened instead with thankfulness is like, God, you know my heart and you know I want to be secure, but I'm so thankful that you have given me resources that I can even use for you. We've got so many um, incredible people within our church body here at Northwest and I want to allow you to uh, see a story uh, of somebody who who has wrestled with this sort of thing firsthand. Wrestling with um, anxiety, not just, oh, I'm nervous about something, but that literally affects her whole entire body. And her name's Beth uh, Morrow, and they've been coming here just not real long, but she's an incredible young lady, and I, and I want you to see her story right here. Check it out. Hi, my name is Beth Morrow, and this is my story. Growing up, I came from a family that went to church um, every single week. We were um, very involved in our church and we looked very much like a perfect family um, from the outside. Um, when I was a freshman in high school, uh, my mom was diagnosed with colon cancer and I pretty much pretended that everything was fine. I just wanted to be Beth Johnson. I didn't want to be the girl whose mom was sick. I got a phone call from my dad on the last day of my uh, spring semester of classes um, in my last class and it was my dad calling to tell me that I needed to come home because it wasn't good. Three days later uh, my mom passed away on May 4th of 2008. I was 20 years old and it's very interesting watching a parent die in front of you. Um, it changes you a lot. It makes everything else not seem like it matters as much. Ryan, my husband, and I met um, before my mom had passed away, so he knew her for a couple of months, and Ryan and I got married um, when I was after I graduated college, three weeks after, and five months after that is when my dad passed away. So within a two-year time span, I had lost my mom to cancer, and my dad died completely unexpectedly. I dealt with that in a very angry way. Um, 
I was very angry at God, very much so. When my mom passed away, that's when I really saw all of my anxieties um, begin to crop up. Um, I was very worried about everything happening to me. Um, if my arm hurt, I would call Ryan and I would say, do you think it's a blood clot? If I had a headache, I would call Ryan and say, do you think it's an inoperable brain tumor? And, and I knew that these things were so ridiculous, especially once I said it out loud, but it was this like, need of reassurance that I'm okay. I, I just had so many uncertainties, like, well, what if this happened? What if this happened? And my mind was constantly racing. Um, so I was very nervous. I was very nervous that, that what had killed my dad was about to kill me as well. In the past year and a half, I've really been able to um, see victories and uh, help to overcome some of my anxieties um, through friendships. I initially um, started going to Becca Hines' Bible study of the Armor of God, and that was perfect for me at the exact time that I needed it. How to armor myself against these um, lies that Satan has been telling me for years, um, how to rise above it and how to call out to God and seek Him even further and deeper. And um, after that, I decided to join the Mentor Moms group um, called The Village, where we are in um, small clusters of uh, moms with a mentor mom to help guide us through um, life, to help us you know, really see God in different areas of our life and how we can be better people um, and strive and grow in Him. A lot of things that were really helpful for me were um, worship music. I absolutely love Oceans um, by Hillsong, especially the line, for I am yours and you are mine. And also, um, I really love Isaiah 40, um, 31, being in God's arms and being having him be there for me and to um, raise up on eagle's wings is so, is so beautiful and something that I didn't realize that I've been saying to myself for years and years and years. And I was trying to search for it through Ryan, but not through God. And I, I had a hard time of really letting go of this control that I have always felt like I've needed in my entire life um, and giving that up to God to let Him be able to reassure me that I am His child and that He will take care of me and that He has a plan for me. Pretty awesome, huh? A very brave young lady, and I know that her story is not unique, and there's a lot of those situations going on here in this place, if we were honest. The third and final thing that we just want to mention here from the text, how do we deal with uh, anxiety and fears? The third thing is just simply this, remember who you are. Remember who you are. If you're a believer here this morning, if you're a Christ follower, and we recognize that there are some who are not, there are some that are checking things out, there are some that are not fully convinced, and that's, that's fine. You are welcome here. Um, but if you are a believer in Christ and you're following him, scripture tells us that something changes in our lives. 
In Corinthians, it tells us that our, our minds are, uh, are renewed. All things are made new. And uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it says this, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that raises itself against the knowledge of God. And so we take every thought captive. So with this new mind of ours, we've got the opportunity to tell it what to think. There are certain things that come in unguarded and automatically, but we've got an option. We can either dwell on those, we can either allow those to continue to unravel us, or we can cut them off immediately. And that, this passage says destroying those things, those thoughts, those arguments. Pretty awesome. Read here in verse 7. The peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. It's not just the emotions of the heart, but it's the intellect of the mind as well. And in verse eight, we're given the formula of these things that we should focus on. Finally, brothers, again, reminding them that if you're a believer, this is true of you. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any excellence and if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I challenged our first hour, what would be a great exercise is kind of just a follow-up to this in your own heart and in your own mind, is just list out those eight characteristics on the left-hand side of a sheet of paper. True, honorable, just, pure, lovely. List those things out. And on the right-hand side of the paper, list out the opposite of those. Whatsoever things are true, the opposite is lies. Whatsoever things are honorable, the opposite would be something that doesn't have dignity. It's not honorable. And go all the way down the line and look at those two lists carefully and says, man, in my mind, in my thought process, in my heart, in my emotions, where do I live? What fills my mind most of the time? And offer that up to God. I love the tail end here of verse 9. Paul says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Remember where Paul's writing from. Remember potentially what could be the anxieties and the fears that he's got, right? What keeps him up at night? Oh, Lord, are they going to come in? Are they going to beat me again? Am I ever going to get out of here? You remember early on in chapter one, in chapter two, he's like, you know what? I may die. I don't know if I'm ever going to get out. They might kill me. But whatever happens, hey, to be absent from this body is to be present with God. That's okay. Think about all of his anxieties. That's where this is all spurring from. But he's saying, hey, you know what? Theme of Philippians is joy and happiness and positivity, and I'm trusting in God. So remember what you've seen in me and follow after these things. And notice this last piece. And the God of peace will be with you. Do you notice how this whole section, church, that we talked about this morning is perfectly couched in these bookends? 
the Lord is at hand, the presence of God, and he ends it with the God of peace be with you. This whole idea of God's presence and anxiety and in fear is incredible. I want to close with this one thought. Psalm 23 is one that many go to for comfort, right? That's a passage that says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. And you kind of get this idea as you're reading through the first half of that, they're like, yeah, this is what I want as my shepherd. I want somebody who's strong and powerful and like, I want to live a life that's tranquil and easy and, and just sitting by the, the water and just lapping it up and there's peace and safety everywhere. But later on in that same passage, Psalm 23, it says, you prepare for me a table in the presence of my enemies. So I'm here to tell you this morning, those fears, those anxiousness, those desires, those, those troubles, they're not going to go away. And we can pray all we want. God has promised us, Jesus even said himself, in this world, you will have trouble. It's going to happen. And in Psalm 23, he says, you know what? You're going to prepare a table for me in the presence of fear, in the presence of my enemies. They are going to be there. And what we've got to understand is how do we reconcile that? Well, my brother-in-law, Jason, is a pastor out in Michigan, and he's got one of the most incredible and poetic minds that I've ever been around. And he wrote this blog um, about this very thing, about fear, when it's right there. Not disappeared, it is there, based on Psalm 23, and I just want you to take this in. And close your eyes if you want. I just want you to take this in and listen. It says this. I've stopped asking you to leave, only to become more fearful when you don't. I will no longer empower you with such wasteful and wishful thinking. I have come to terms with your presence and it's changing the way I view my relationship with you. He's talking about fear. If the Lord has promised to prepare a table for me before me in the presence of my enemy, then I shall feast in your face. I'm okay with you being in the room as long as you're okay watching me eat my fill of God's abundance, drinking deep of a cup that keeps running over with his extravagant love. Pardon me if I don't pay attention to you when you're talking. It's just that I've started listening to the voice at the head of the table where my father sits. He isn't as loud as you are, but I've learned you don't have to yell when you're telling the truth. His still, small voice seems less scared and desperate as yours. I wish you would leave me alone, but on the other hand, your presence reminds me of my purpose. And so I guess if I can't lose you, I'll just use you. You will be my alarm clock, stirring me to wake up and pray. Every prayer will tune me in to my Father's frequency. Your presence will be slowed and be swallowed up by His presence. Your voice will eventually be drowned out by His 
voice. And after a while, I'm hoping you will lose your voice. But at the very least, I know that your voice has lost its power. And I wonder here this morning as we talk about reminding ourselves that the Lord is near as we destroy our anxiousness preemptively with thankfulness and as we remember who we are, our identity in Christ and take every thought captive according to this grid if God wouldn't give us some victories in lives here this morning. I never want to pretend to trivialize the anxieties and the fears of what's going on even amongst this group of people people who are unemployed right now, people who have those that they love who are sick or in pain, people that are afraid of the future, people who are afraid for our world. But we know that God is here with us. We know that his presence is here with us and his presence is in us. And so God, this morning I just call out to you in this place I just thank you for the power of your word and Lord I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit you would allow us to determine what's true and what's lovely and what's just and what's right Father that we would be a people that have minds that are being renewed and being transformed God for those rocked in fear for those who are at their wits end for those who are embarrassed at how far they've run and the excuses that they've made. Lord, let them know that you are near to the broken heart. We love you, God, and we thank you for this time.